you know, I don't even know. Didn't we already introduce all these people? Why are we even doing this? There has to be a lazier way to do this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I don't even have words for that. <laughs> Fucking seriously, man. Like we did, we showed up, we did the introductions, other people do all the work. I don't even know why we're doing this. Oh, like you don't even know why we're recording right now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, because we're professionals and we try and. All right, all right. Let's just let's let's just get on with it. Uh, all right. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> all right. I'm gonna do this. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson, and I'm Livia Snedden. This week we're gonna bring you Noir at the Bar Chicago, our <laughs> third, third, third installment. Third of installment Noir of Chicago. Noir at the Bar Chicago. Yeah. Um, this took place at Sylvie's Lounge on July 22nd, which incidentally, Rob, happy book birthday. Yeah, two-year anniversary of our book release. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. We got to celebrate that. As you'll hear, we were uh, we, we did manage to give away, you guys may wonder, um, we did manage to give away a copy of it. Um, and, you know, we're pretty easy. The one person that had an idea um, actually is the one who won it. So you'll hear <laughs> all about that because we're terrible. We're terrible at giving things away. Yeah, well... I think we're. I feel jaded about giving stuff away because it's always been so difficult over the internet to give stuff away. You would think. You would think the free shit would be easier to give. Anyway, whatever. Not gonna uh, linger on the badness. <laughs> so my experience with Noir at the Bar Chicago started like every other one, which is I met up with Kevin Helmick, and we drove to <laughs> Chicago. Pop tarts were involved. There are pop tarts involved, um, which I've got to tell you. Now I have now twice, completely out of context. Anyone knows who it is? Offered someone a pop tart. <laughs> <laughs> just been like, you know what, you want a Pop-Tart? And they always look at me really confused. So, um, But I am getting a box of Pop-Tarts for work, and I will occasionally hand one out to somebody. <laughs> just because. I like it. Um, other stuff happened. Uh, we met up and had dinner uh, before time, before before the event, and it was the most attentive, attentive, attentive? attentive? I think it's attentive. One way they were in a tent, and the other way they just wouldn't leave us alone, I think. Um but uh, they, they just, <laughs> we were the only customers in this barbecue joint. And it was like, the, every time someone came to the table to help us, it was the whole staff that was like walking over, like arms behind their back, military style. It was it was almost a little creepy. It was weird. And, and my, my thought was, you know, there were three of us. It was uh, me, Rob, and Kevin. And then, you know, there were three of them. <laughs> I kept wondering, like, I wonder if one of like, Rob's friends shows up here. Like, will a fourth person <laughs> magically appear in the queue? That would be amazing. It's too Q, bad we didn't get, get a chance in, to test in that. In the queue? In the queue? Oh, I, oh, like barbecue? Yeah, the place was called. Wasn't it called the queue? It was or called Q? Q, yeah. Q, yeah. See? See? Still clever. Fuck, you are sharp, man. <laughs> At any rate, I guess a little more about the reading. What you're hearing right now is part one of two as we're breaking this up to not run a super extra um, ridiculously long episode. So um, here's what you're going to hear tonight. Um, you're going to hear from Jay Kingston, who kind of introduces the event. Then it gets really good because you're going to hear me and Rob. That's where it, that's kind of like this is <laughs> this is the this will be the part of the episode where you again realize or your your knowledge is reinforced that Rob is the bearer of strict information and Livius is the actual bearer of humor of the podcast. Someone has to, someone has to bring the funny. See, and here's the thing: like there are times that I think I'm really funny. But those times are usually when no one else gets it. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Like I just yeah. get angry. I'm like nobody understood what I just said. It was hilarious. <laughs> and the rest of the time, I think I just try to be funny, and it doesn't really succeed. So, um, yes, I try to bring a little bit of uh, of, of humor to to the event. 
Yeah, then you're going to hear uh, three readers uh, in this first episode here. Up first is John Wigley, who you may remember we brought him to you all the way back with uh, the wrong kind of reading at the Galloway Arms um, in 2012. Um, that episode, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's in the 70s. Uh, following that is Carmen Jaramillo. Did I say that even near close? I, I believe that Jaramillo is, is pretty close. That's close enough for me. Um, really quick, hers is really quick, but really good. And then you have Josh K. Stevens rounding off uh, the first episode here. Um, I guess we'll talk about the readers a little more afterwards. Um, but uh, yeah, it's this is you're in you're in for a treat. And with that pile of enthusiasm, we're going to jump right <laughs> right into uh, Jake introducing Noir at the Bar Chicago three. Hello. Hello, everybody. So I think we'll go ahead and get started. Welcome to Noir the Bar Chicago. Ow! I am Jake Hinkson. Uh, I put this on. Um, and I wanted to welcome all of you here. Uh, we have a really great lineup of readers tonight. Um, John Wegley is here. Uh, Wonderful short story writer. We have several of uh, his books over here. Kind of a short story machine, uh, John is. Um, so be sure to check those out. We, we have books from a lot of our readers, so you want to go over there and get one of those. I want to say, that reminds me, uh, that if you buy uh, a book, one book at least, from one of our readers tonight, I have a box of free books, and I'll give you a free book. Uh, do you have Fifty Shades of Grey? I do not have Fifty Shades of Grey. Sorry. Uh, but some stuff that's almost as good. Uh, we have uh, Carmen Jaramillo is here tonight. Uh, scrappy up-and-comer. Really excited to have her here. Um, we have Josh K. Stevens sitting over here, whose book has just come out. Uh, available over here. Very excited to have him. Uh, a new book on uh, 280 Steps, uh, publisher 280 Steps, which is a terrific publisher. Um, very happy to have Lori Raider Day here. Uh, I've been stalking her now uh, for about a year, uh, and now I finally have her. I, I want her at Noir at the Bar, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, and last, <laughs> uh, last but not least, all the way from Los Angeles, we have Eric Beatner. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Peter actually gets a round of applause, as he deserves. Fresh off the plane. I had to rush to get here. I know. Beatner uh, is a sort of old-school pulp factory, one-man pulp factory. He's written more books than you have read. Uh, by the time you brush your teeth tonight, he will have written another book, most likely. So we are very excited that he could take time out of doing that uh, to come here and read us some of this stuff. Um, so, without any further ado, I think about covers what I wanted to say. Uh, yeah, like I said, uh, be sure to hit the merch table, buy a book, be sure to hit the bar, buy a drink or two. Uh, if you buy a book, I'll give you a free book. Uh, that's about it. I'm going to hand it over to Rob and Lydia's. to one of the other Noir's Bar Chicago's, you'll know that Jake, uh, you know, 
is nice enough to give us a stage to stand on and, and babble at you guys at. So we are the host of the Books Podcast. Uh, primarily, we review books, we interview authors. We also record and post uh, live readings like this. So if you're not familiar with us, we kind of do a range of different things. Um, and tonight is a little special for us, not only because we're here with everybody, but also because we published an anthology two years ago today. So today, today. What that means is we can force people to applaud uh, <laughs> at us about it. Um, so I'm gonna let uh, introduce our first reader. Before we go on and introduce this first reader, um, we're gonna give away a copy of the book anthology tonight, but we have no idea how we're going to pick the winner. <laughs> So if you have any ideas, or if you're noticeable enough, you too may be the recipient of the birthday copy of the book anthology. And to be really honest with you, we've got one that was misprinted, and that's the one I wanted to give away. Like all the authors' names are cut off at the top, but Rob convinced me, one pristine copy of the book anthology to one person tonight. So, uh, but before we get into the giveaway that we don't know how we're going to do, um, John Weebley's short crime fiction. And his short crime fiction have been nominated for the Derringer Award five times, winning one in 2008, and has been nominated for a Spontiglow Award. As a playwright, his short plays have received over 100 productions. productions um, by theaters around the world. Everybody, John Wigley. the bar for like eight years since I first heard about him in 2007, so this is great. Okay, so my story is called Shark Infested Pudding. I couldn't sleep. It was the three-year anniversary of the night Erin left. I never found out where she'd gone. I was sitting on the beach, smoking, surrounded by driftwood, staring at the ocean, being alone, remembering. From down the shore, the lighthouse beacon helped the stars illuminate the night. My cigarette didn't give me any pleasure. Smoking was just habit, like everything else. The smoke that once brought me peace and quiet now just clouded the air between myself and the sea. Can I have one? Her skin was the color of milk chocolate. She had shoulder-length black hair and high cheekbones. She stood close to six feet. She didn't leave footprints in the sand, so I couldn't tell where she'd come from. I gave her a cigarette, and she sat down. Light? I lit it for her, and the two of us watched the waves roll back and forth. Got the time? She asked. I didn't answer, trying to maintain the silence she interrupted. A lot of water, she said. I looked over at her. And that's the, just the top of it, she continued. I put my cigarette out in the sand. Can you tell me what time it is? After midnight, I said, before dawn? Nice, she said. After a moment, she continued. I couldn't sleep. I've got insomnia. It's a curse, but sometimes I don't mind. Sometimes I don't want to sleep. Some nights, I just want to sit out here and watch the ocean. Do you sleep? I'm not asleep now, I told her. I'm Lauren. Cody. What are you doing out here? Looking for buried treasure. Very nice, she said, looking back out to sea. 
That's how we all got where we are, she said. The water, evolution says we crawled out of the water, the pilgrims came across the water to the new world. In the womb, we breathed the water. It's all because of water. I came out here to be alone, I said, with the water. The silence returned, only now it was aggressive. Sorry, I said, that was rude. Now, she didn't feel like talking. I know a great cure for insomnia, I tried. Want to hear it? No response. Get plenty of sleep. No laugh, no smile, nothing. They say water covers a quarter of the earth, I tried. Three quarters. What? Water covers three quarters of the earth, Lauren said. Three quarters? You knew that. This time I didn't respond. All that water could lead anywhere, she said. What do you mean? Get on a boat, follow the water. You could go anywhere, anywhere but here. Here is the same as pretty much everywhere else. What time is it, she said, really? I looked at my watch, a Christmas present from Aaron. 3.07, I told her, really. I, see, I haven't seen you here before, she said. I, I don't get out much. My boyfriend Mitch, she said, pointing away from the ocean, that's his cottage. Where's Mitch tonight? He's around. I didn't push the issue. See that? I pointed down the coast. What? There, on those rocks. The Hollow Point Lighthouse? I'm usually there. You're the lighthouse keeper? No, I said, the lighthouse keeps me. I don't understand what you mean. She looked to the waves for an explanation. Is it exciting, she asked after a moment. No. Dull? No. She turned to face me. The beam from the lighthouse swept across the beach. <clears throat> Lonely? Maybe it was my imagination. Her, her eyes held something more than just curiosity. They swam with something that made my calves flex and my knuckles tighten. The last thing on my mind when I'd come out on the beach was meeting someone. The memory of Aaron was all the female companionship I needed tonight. But here was this woman I'd never seen before looking at me like I could give her something nobody else could. I tried to answer her with a smile. She kept looking at me. Lonely, I said. That's the question. She nodded. She stared into me. Yeah. I said, it gets lonely. She turned back to the waves. You sound like a good man. I have to be. If I want to go out and play in my yard, I have to be able to walk on water. Good men are as rare as buried treasure. Is Mitch a good man? What's dark brown, sweet, and dangerous? Laura asked. This woman was a master at changing the topic. What? What's dark brown, sweet, and dangerous? I don't know. Shark-infested pudding. It wasn't a laugh-out-loud kind of joke. Are you allowed to have anyone stay with you, she asked, in the lighthouse? There's no rule against it. I love to watch the ocean. She let that hang in the air. After a moment, she said, can I have another smoke? Her hand steadied mine as I lit it for her. Have you ever killed anyone, she asked. I looked at her, not knowing if I had heard her correctly. Have you ever killed someone, she repeated. 
No, I said, I've never even been in a fight. You've never hit anyone? I didn't say that. I have a gun, she said. It had been an entertaining fantasy, this mysterious stranger on the beach, but at this point I'd had my fill. I should be heading back, I said, rising to my feet. I didn't mean to scare you. Why do you have a gun? It's late. I'm a girl. There might be weirdos out. What if you're one of the weirdos? Lauren just looked at me. I knew I wasn't going anywhere. If you decide to start shooting, I said as I sat back down, just let me leave a note for my mother. Could you ever kill someone, she asked. What is this? We're just talking. I don't like this talk. Come on. I thought about her question. In cold blood, I asked. Sure. No. You're sure? Yeah. In self-defense? Maybe. I could. Kill someone? Definitely. In self-defense. Or in cold blood, she said. Are you going to kill me? I asked. Don't be silly. We're just talking, I reminded her. What a rush, she said. Adrenaline pumping, heart pounding, breath racing, better than an orgasm. You should try it. I'll never do it, she said, but I could. We watched the waves. I should be getting back, I said, not moving. I'm going for a swim, she said, rising to her feet. Want to come? I'll wait here. Hold my gun, she said, pulling it out of her waistband and placing it in my lap. Lauren took off her t-shirt and shorts. Her body was slender, but not skinny. She had flesh where a body needed flesh. She slipped out of her bra and panties and my calves flexed again. Back in a jiffy, she said. As I watched her walk toward the breaking tide, I realized what all of this was, a performance for my benefit. The problem was, it was working. Part of me wanted her to sink in the salty brine. Part of me wanted her to get eaten by a giant fish. But another part of me wanted to feel the tips of my fingers brush against the small of her back. I listened to her move in the water, and I was reminded of the night three years ago when I wanted something else. Erin had just gotten out of the shower. We'd been living together for six months. She started the conversation with, maybe we should see other people for a while. From there, it got worse and worse. I got mad. I couldn't let her go. I lost my temper. That made her run away faster. I never saw her again. I'd moved west, looking for the most solitary job I could find. I found it in Hollow Point. I didn't take it because I loved the water. I didn't take it so I could help ships lost at sea. I didn't take it because I'm a good man. I took the job because I felt like being by myself. Lauren came out of the water. Her skin glistened with salt and sand. Cold, I asked. Refreshing. We should build a fire. We could go back to the lighthouse, she said, pulling back on her shorts. What about Mitch? What about him? Won't he be upset if you go home with me? When we first started dating, Mitch and I would take long midnight walks on this beach. We'd bury our toes in the sand. We'd cringe when we stepped on broken seashells. We'd hold hands and we'd giggle. Not many men giggle. Back then, taking those walks was what we both wanted to do. Now we only do what Mitch wants to do. Does he hit you? 
not with his hands. She slid into her t-shirt. I lied before, she continued. When? You said you're not the lighthouse keeper, that the lighthouse keeps you. I said I didn't understand what you meant. I understood. Tonight's the night I do what I want to do. The lighthouse beacon came around again, illuminating everything in its path. I looked at her and considered my options. The smart choice would have been to go home alone. The other choice was the one I was about to make. Before I could tell her I didn't have the supplies to offer her breakfast, I heard something shuffle behind me. I hit the gun and looked over my shoulder. Someone was coming to join us. Hey, the stranger said to Lauren. Hey, who's this? He asked. He lives in the Hollow Point Lighthouse, she said. Great. I could tell by the way Lauren went from courtesan to schoolgirl that the stocky gentleman was Mitch. What are the two of you doing? He asked. Looking for buried treasure, she said. Great. He sized me up and decided I wasn't worth talking to. Are you just about ready to head back? He asked. None of us moved. What's going on? Mitch asked. I don't think I want to head back. Let's not do this here. Lauren still didn't move. Mitch turned to me. Could you uh, excuse us for a minute? He's staying, Lauren said. Is that how it is? He asked. Yeah, she said, that's how it is. I haven't heard anything from your new friend. I just came out here to be alone, I said. Come on, baby, Mitch said. Let's leave the man alone. I just went for a walk, Lauren said. I didn't expect to find him out here. I didn't expect to find anyone out here. I don't know what I expected. You're not making any sense, Mitch said. I'm tired of being half of you and none of me, Lauren said. Tonight's the night I do what I want to do. Do you believe this, Mitch said to me, sure that we shared the same views on women? I won't give up who I am, Lauren said. Come back to bed, Mitch said. Lauren still didn't move. Come on, Mitch said, taking her wrist, trying to pull her to her feet. Knock this off. I stood and stretched my legs. Mitch got the point. This, this doesn't concern you, he said. What's dark brown, sweet, and dangerous? I asked him. What? What's dark brown, sweet, and dangerous? I said, pulling Lauren's gun. Mitch moved faster than I would have given him credit for. He lunged at me, his right fist plunging toward my left temple. I stepped out of his way, and his swing brought him face to face with the beach. His hand, my hand tightened on the pistol. Go on, Lauren said, in self-defense. I aimed the gun at the back of Mitch's head. Did I know Lauren was using me? Sure. Did it matter? No. What's dark brown, sweet, and dangerous? I asked Mitch for the last time. Please, don't kill me, he whimpered. You can't kill me. Lauren smiled. I don't deserve this. I'm a good man. I stared at him. After what seemed like an eternity, the foghorn from my lighthouse broke our silence. Here, I said, handing the gun to Lauren. What? Go on, I told her. In cold blood. She looked at me like a cat who's run into a screen door, confused about what's detoured its course of events. After a moment, she raised the gun and pointed it at Mitch. Better than an orgasm, she said. Before she could follow through on her fantasy, and maybe shoot me as well, I picked up a piece of driftwood and hit Mitch over the head. 
You killed him? Lauren asked. No, just put him to sleep. You didn't kill him, she said, lowering the gun. Ready to head back to the lighthouse? I asked. She put the gun back into her waistband. You know, I told her, you've never said my name. Can I have another smoke? For the road? You did come out here to be alone. Sure, I said, tossing her the pack. With the water. Thanks. Cody. Sure. She took my cigarettes and walked up the shore. When I couldn't see her anymore, the incoming tide watched her footsteps out of the sand. Thank you. We've all been there, right? On the beach, the gun, the crazy boyfriend. No? no Rob has. He was talking about the whole thing. It's like a, it's like a biography, ago. yeah. Our next reader is, I'm going to, I terribly apologize in advance if I say the name wrong, Carmen Jaramillo. Close enough? Good enough? Cool. Uh, and this is her bio. Carmen is a Minnesota-born and raised amateur writer. Her short fiction has appeared at Flesh Fiction Offensive, Crime Factory Magazine, Shotgun Honey, and forthcoming in Akashic's books, Mondays, Our Murder web series. She is slashing and burning her way through a novel. Carmen. everybody for letting me come in with uh, all you professionals here. Um, I've never done one of these readings before, so uh, if I collapse on stage and just faint, I hope you forgive me. <laughs> I dropped my earring in the fucking toilet. At some point during the night, I lost the back, but I guess I didn't notice until the whole little rhinestone bastard slipped out my ear and fell right to the toilet bowl. It winked up at me a dangly, glittery number of blue and white and chalk green studs and water full of syphilis and hep C and whatever other STDs live on the generals are the kind of people who come to Division Street bars. On the other side of the stall door, I had a line of about a dozen other women sprawling out the bathroom, giggling, hanging on each other, sweating off their makeup. I gave myself about 15 seconds before somebody started banging on the door and whining at me to hurry the hell up. At least though, I didn't have Charlie whining at me. This is my luck. I found somebody with a pretty smile and a trust fund, and his favorite evening hobby is snorting his crushed up mystery pills. Although moving myself into his condo with no job and no savings before I knew anything about him was probably more bad decision than bad luck. My sister Robin reminds me of that about every 12 seconds. She came into town for the evening. It was just me and her at the bar celebrating my new flush of cash that would help me start all over without having to put up with a spoiled boy getting strung out and throwing temper tantrums. I planted my hand against the stall for balance. The toilet bowl actually looked cleaner than I'd figured for a bar bathroom at 1245. Just some orange rusting in the base and some chip paint. Of course, my eyes could hardly focus on beer labels at that point in the night, so there was no way I'd be spotting all the E. coli and cholera rolling around in the water. Sure, I'd flushed it a second before the earring dropped in, lucky me, but why the shit did I decide to twist my head back like that? And then to waste more time in a packed bathroom while everyone waiting barked over the music at me? I thought I heard Robin's voice. Maybe she was on her way in, coming to check on me. Or lecture me, it could get hard to tell. She could be hard to please, especially back when I was just a kid. But then so was she, and she looked after me because the folks who were supposed to just didn't. I admit I didn't really become the kind of model citizen she'd hoped for, but not everything that happened was my fault. Dropping out of high school might not have been my best moment, but I can't help that I've got a sucktastic attention span. And I don't force crazy girls to get it into their heads that it's me screwing their husbands or making them want to kick my teeth in. Granted, I probably shouldn't have panicked that one night and stolen Robin's car to get out of town, 
plotted into a guardrail in Stevenson Expressway. Of course, I'd been thinking that all that kind of shit might finally change. I'd sold off a couple of spare parts from Charlie's condo I knew he wouldn't miss, some Bluetooth speakers and a pair of cufflinks. After I'd sold off his Davos watch just that afternoon, I thought I'd have enough money to run on my own for a month or more. In the stall, I flinched at the sound of shrieking. He must be ready to tear the door off I was taking so long. I had to leave, but I'd really like those earrings. I'd never get another pair. That store closed two years before, and there's a goddamn Chipotle there now. It felt about as irreplaceable as Charlie's Davos turned out to be. I told Robin I was breaking off and starting over after a few drinks. Strung out on plant fertilizer or whatever the hell it was, Charlie wouldn't care that I'd disappeared. By the time he realized what I'd done, what I'd sold, he'd never find me. Robin looked almost proud of me. Well, as long as you don't sell his Davos, every one of those is a serial number. I stop and swallow. What? A serial number? Those watches are so fancy they each have their own number under the face. That's how you're supposed to know it's authentic or whatever bullshit. But some jewelry store is used to find out if it's been stolen. So I may as well have run off with the American fucking gothic. This is how it goes with me. How long did I have before it traced back to Charlie and to me? Days? Hours? Did I have hours left of feeling like I'd finally done something right? The commotion outside surged. No one was banging on the door yet, but I didn't have much time. I swallowed and looked into the bowl at my reflection in water, trembling in time with the music. In daylight, I looked older than Robin, even though I was younger. Under the bar lighting, though, you couldn't hardly tell us apart. I made up my mind. I just have to leave, straight from the bar, right that second, to the train station with all the money I had on me, telling Robin goodbye without saying where I'd go. I was still young. I still had a chance to get out of my shitty luck. I've made mistakes. I've cocked things up. But I deserved another shot, and I was damn well going to take it. And I'd start with shoving my hand down a bar toilet. I'd dump three fingers in, though the water feels colder than you'd think, pulled the earring out. When I could, I'd douse it in some bleach and Listerine, and wave a rosary over it. I came out of the stall with my sloppy, sorry girl, sorry girl, smile ready and my eyes down. But the other women weren't looking at me. No one had been yelling at me. They didn't even notice me opening the door. They just all yelled at once, cramped together and right in each other's faces. My chest got cold the way the body does when you know something isn't right. I pushed between girls. They didn't pay any attention to me. Dude, he just started screaming at that chick. He hit her with a glass. He tried to choke her. I was standing really close. He just barged in and started screaming some crazy shit about her stealing from him. I stepped out the door into the packed hallway where the spooked bartenders pushed people back against the walls and make space. I watched two of them half carry my sister to a back room. She clutched the gush of blood over her eyes. At the end of the bar, three guys tried to wrangle Charlie down while he shrieked for the fucking fascists to get their hands off him. And then he started howling my name. All anyone in the bar could hear was my name, over and over, on top of my sister's wails that she couldn't see. It's me again. My luck again. Because I decided to wait an extra five and a half minutes. I wanted to run into Robin and tell her I was sorry, even if it wasn't really my fault Charlie didn't recognize her. I clenched the earring in my fist and slid through the crowd towards the back exit. I ran, but I wouldn't really get away. Does anybody else not believe that was her first time reading? That was really great. That was terrific. And uh, probably the first reading I ever heard where the word sucktastic showed up. And then later a reference to the painting American Gothic. So. I do it all. <laughs> Josh K. Stevens is our next reader. And here is his bio. Growing up on the mean streets of suburban Illinois prepared Josh for the pulp genre. 
While he has been published in several zines, websites, and has a non-fiction piece in an anthology, his premier work, Bullets Are My Business, was published as an e-reader exclusive in 2012, and his sophomore work, Scratch the Surface, is available now. The final two books from the Deuce, Wal Deuce Walsh trilogy will be available on July 28th and October 28th. Josh K. Stevens. Thank you. And I actually want to say before I start, I am so proud to be on this stage with all of these fantastic readers. And, uh, and Jake, thank you for inviting me to run at the bar. So. So I've actually got uh, two pieces that I'm going to read from my book, Scratch the Surface, here. Um, two short pieces, so I'll just kind of dive right in. Uh, as I started the engine, I glanced at the front window of the bar. Darkness. I assumed that the bouncer and the bartender had thrown everyone's asses out after the fight. I put the car in drive, and we were off. Mission accomplished. I was about to pat myself on the back. What the fuck just happened back there, Colm asked, disrupting the silence before I could bask in the glory of completing the task at hand without death or mortal injury befalling us. I opened my mouth, but he didn't give me a chance to respond before he had bombarded me with further questions. It was like I was under an air raid. Where did you learn to shoot like that? How long have you been a secret bass? Were you a gangster? Are you a gangster? What the fuck? When the questions stopped, I gave him a few seconds. I pulled out my pack of cigarettes, popped them to my lips. Lighting it, I pulled out a nice long drag. I wasn't sure if the question ceased because Colm had asked all that he wanted to, or if it was because he just ran out of breath. After a few seconds, I was fairly certain it was the former. First of all, are you fucking retarded? I asked. There was no use beating around the bush. Colm whipped his head to look at me as though he misheard the question. He didn't answer, and I assumed that meant yes, so I moved on, letting the first question die as a rhetorical one. I'll answer your questions, but first, I need to get something off my chest. Colm knew this was coming. I could tell by his body language. A roll of the eyes, a far-off stare directed at the window. I knew he wasn't looking at anything. There was nothing to look at. Deserted streets, decrepit houses, a few abandoned cars. As long as he heard what I had to say, I didn't care what his eyes were doing. When you told me about that poker game, I warned you not to go. I made it pretty clear that I knew these were some pretty bad guys, I told him. Why the fuck would I lie to you about something like that? I didn't think you were lying, Ryan, Colm said, shaking his head. I just assumed you were full of shit. I didn't realize you were a boondock saint. I suppose I couldn't really argue with him on that. How the fuck could he have known? We drove in silence for what seemed like a year. I smoked my cigarette down to the filter, then I monkey-fucked another one immediately. It had been a stressful night, and I was down to half a pack. Seriously, Ryan, I've known you for years. I've never seen anything resembling that side of you before, Colm said, staring out the window in a daze. He turned to look at me, eyes narrow. You're keeping secrets from my sister, aren't you? I assumed that question was equally as rhetorical as mine from earlier, and I could already tell what his follow-up question was going to be. I was surprised he didn't ask it as part of his earlier interrogation. Who the fuck are you? I stared through the windshield at the road ahead, desolate. My cigarette was burning down. The wind from the open window was blowing my hair around. I felt a smile slowly creep across my lips. My name's Deuce Walsh, I told him. It was the first time I'd said that name in seven years. It didn't even feel awkward coming out of my mouth. I glanced at the dashboard clock, 11.30. 
We still had quite a haul in front of us, but that was a good start. Because I was going to use this Saturn as my confessional. It was time to come clean. At least the bars would still be open by the time we got home, because I was definitely going to need a drink. I took another hit off the cigarette, and I used to be a gangster. So I'll go right into the second reading. Well, feel free to applause. I started coming. <laughs> An hour later, I was wheeling the car into the gas station. Had to get smokes before I trucked out to work. I stopped the car as I started to pull in my usual spot. The flannel-wearing cowboy was still there, arms crossed, talking to someone in a pickup truck. Jesus, did this guy live here? I honked the horn. Hey! I called out the window. I gotta get in here in a second, he said without turning to look at me. How about now, I told him. I got shit to do. What the fuck you think I'm doing, he asked. I heard the driver of the truck let out a low laugh. I felt the crimson burning river of rage pooling up within my chest. I had to be calm. I pulled my car up into the spot as far as I could without plowing this guy down. I threw the car in park. Flannel eyeballed me as I stepped from the car and moved towards the door of the gas station. I tried to ignore it. It was nearly impossible. I had been ignoring shit for too long. Inside, I picked up two packs of smokes from Shiva. When I was done, I headed back outside. And as I walked through the door, there was a hiccup in my step. Flannel was leaning against my car. The Red River lapped up the bank. Now I realized that a 2001 Saturn isn't a classic automobile. It isn't a prize. It had more scratches in the paint than a kid with chicken pox on his arms. Whether or not the car was an antique didn't change the principle of the matter. I knew that the best course of action would be to ask him to move, and if he didn't, just to get in the car and drive away. Unfortunately, I knew instantly that it wasn't going to play out that way. The guy was clearly looking for an ass-beating. Get the fuck off my car. What? You heard me, dickbag, I told him, walking towards the car. I don't give a shit if you're propositioning this guy for a blowjob or selling him black tar heroin, but get your raggedy ass off of my car. What are you going to do about it if I don't? You really don't want to go down this road with me, guy. Well, what if I do, boy? Flannel pulled his ass off the Saturn's hood and stared me down. I hadn't realized how enormous this guy was. 6'5", easy. Definitely a blue-collar worker that, when he wasn't peddling coke. Probably a plumber or mechanic, judging by the filth under his fingernails. He looked like he'd been lifting machinery since he was about 12. I let my eyes flick over to the guy sitting in the truck. He looked about the same, a bit older, more grizzled. The two men looked like they had done their fair share of bar brawling. Little did they know that I had too. Flannel took a step towards me. I stood my ground. A look flashed in his eye for an instant that told me that he wasn't entirely sure why I hadn't backed down and started pleading for my life. The look passed as quickly as it had arrived, but I could tell he was nervous. He was not used to getting, he was not used to not getting his way. He took another lumbering step towards me. He had two more steps before I made my move. I wanted to have him close, just not too close. In my periphery, I could see the, the older guy in the truck slowly unbuckle his seatbelt. He was trying his damnedest to be nonchalant about it. I had to take out flannel quick so that the trucker didn't have time to make a move. For all I knew, that guy was going to go for the shotgun he had in the bed of his truck. Everyone out here who had a pickup truck also had a shotgun. Unwritten rules of farm town. Flannel took another step forward. He was breathing a bit heavier than when we first started talking, and that was a good sign. His thoughts were getting in the way of his actions already. He took one more step, and it was time to move. 
I lunged forward before he finished putting his foot down, I kicked out his ankle, it threw him off balance, and he pitched forward. Not a lot, just enough for me to extend a wide open hand and catch him in the throat with the webbing between my index finger and thumb. Not hard enough to kill him, it was, but it definitely cut off his air supply for a second. He wasn't thinking about his footing now, and his foot went limp as it hit the ground. He continued forward, falling, and I stepped out of the way, grabbing him by the nape of his neck as he passed. I spiked his head directly into the door of the pickup truck just as the driver had started to get out. I heard two sickening crunches as Flannel's head connected with the door. The first was Flannel's nose breaking. He bounced off the door and fell limp on the ground. Out cold. Perfect. I took the two steps over to the newly dented truck and reached into the bed. I had it pegged. My hand tightened around the stock of a shotgun. The driver was reaching for it. That was the second crunch. The trucker's wrist breaking as he was extending it through the truck's door and going for the weapon. Asshole. I leveled the shotgun through the window of the truck. The driver shied away, cradling his wrist against his chest. He let out a whimper. I was tempted to shoot him on general principle alone. Come on, tough guy, I told him. Get your white trash ass out of the truck. He didn't move. I brought the gun up, cocked it, letting the noise reverberate through his thick skull before telling him again to get moving. I prodded him with the barrel, and as soon as, he as it touched him, he let out a partial squeal. I moved back as he threw open the door and stepped out with his hands raised. Get this piece of shit into the bed of the truck, I told him. He scrambled over to Flannel, shook him. Martin, get the fuck up, he hissed. That's not what I said to do, I growled. I said get him in the truck. You, do it. He nodded so fast that I got a sinking feeling that his head was going to pop right off his neck. Then he reached down, hoisted Martin up off the ground. As he did, a battered envelope and two baggies fell out of Martin's pocket. The trucker didn't notice. He half carried, half dragged Martin over to the bed of the truck, and with a shitload of heavy breathing and some grunting, he managed to pop him over the side and into the bed. Martin landed in the metal bed with a thud. I walked over and covered Martin with a tarp. I turned back to the trucker. Do you have a cell phone? I asked. More nodding. I held out my hand. The trucker looked quizzically, for me at a mo looked quizzically at me for a moment and then slowly extended his hand and placed it in mine. We stood there for a moment, both of us feeling uncomfortable. I shook his hand off of mine. The cell phone, you moron! Place the cell phone in my hand! I didn't know what kind of party he thought this was, but he immediately started blushing. He reached deep within the pockets of his blue jeans and pulled out an old-school Motorola phone. He placed it on my palm, careful not to touch his fingers to my hand this time around. Now, you get in the car and drive wherever it is you are headed. Don't stop till you get there, and when you get there, Martin took a nasty fall and knocked himself out, I explained. You got it? His head started bobbing again. I nodded back this time. You never saw me, I told him, speaking slowly. You don't know anything about me. I'm vanishing from your mind as soon as you get back behind the wheel. Clear? I reached out, opened the door to his truck, motioned with my head for him to get back behind the wheel. He scurried into the cab and sat looking straight ahead. For all intents and purposes, I'd already disappeared. I closed the door behind him, and as soon as the door was closed, he threw the car into reverse and peeled out of the parking lot. Kicking up gravel, he shifted the car to drive, and in a cloud of dust reminiscent of Looney Tunes, he was gone. Thank you. All right, and there you have John, and I believe it's Wegley, because I think he said it rhymes with Eggly. Okay, I'm good with that. So I'm going to go with John Wegley, Carmen Jaramillo, and Josh K. Stevens. That John Wegley story, um, it's weird because we get distracted because we're doing kind of official stuff while we're 
um, kind of enjoying the reading as well. So I, I don't expect to catch the full story all the time because I know that I'm like taking pictures or making sure that things are going the way they're supposed to. Checking um, Facebook. Checking Facebook, nodding uh, at my friends. Um, those types of things that, you know, official stuff. Um, but with this one, I just like there was I just felt so sucked into like what the hell is going to happen next? Because like it's this crazy chick and then she's naked and like and all these crazy weird stuff's going on. And then the boyfriend shows up and I'm like, is he going to kill him? Is she going to kill him? Are they going to kill everybody's going to kill each other? I didn't know what was going on. So um, I, I, felt, I liked it a lot for that fact that I just had no clue what was going to happen next. And then Rob has spent the subsequent four nights on the beach late at night hoping. Just fingers crossed. <laughs> Just, it could <laughs> happen, right? There's no lighthouses nearby, so that kind of sucked. But I did what I could. So the second reader, Carmen Jaramillo. Um, and I, I noticed this because it's funny. We have read, I don't know, hundreds of bios on the show, right? Is that safe to say? Oh, yeah. Okay. And hers, in the bio itself, was the only one that I've ever said. It's something along the lines of being an amateur. And then she gets up there and she's like, it's my first reading. And then she delivers, although, and I don't know, I haven't heard the audio back. Is the audio super quiet? It's quiet, but um, the it'll it'll sound fine for the listeners. But delivery. Holy shit, was she on point. She rocked it. And if this is her first reading, she is going to be a force to be reckoned with, you know, as, as she matures as a live reader, because she has a great starting point. She's going to be like one of those fucking beat poets. <laughs> like all it's annoying a, and shit. Uh, oh, God, I hope not. But uh, a great story. Um, reminded me a little bit of Brandon Teet's stuff. Yeah. Yeah, oh. I, I could I could see that. Yeah, and then... So, I, I'm super excited about that, right? She delivers this great... And then Josh Stevens comes up. And this guy, another one, just boom, nails it. Absolutely nails this reading. I'm very excited about the two of them. Yeah, um, John we knew, so you know it was nice to see a familiar face. These other two, it was great to to put some uh, some new people on our radar. I did grab Josh's book, Scratch the Surface, which is the first in the Deuce Walsh uh, trilogy, and um, I'm looking forward to. I'm going to try and read that before we get back from our uh, our hiatus. Um, how, how cute! You're going to try and read it. You're not going to read it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, you you just heard him read, so you'll understand my enthusiasm for that. It was it's some serious, good, hard boiled fiction. Yep. So that's uh, pretty much it for this episode. If you come back, I believe tomorrow, or depending on when you're listening, it might be available right now. You're going to hear the uh, grand finale there, which is going to start off with Lori Raider Day, and followed by Eric Beatner, and that's going to be our uh, our next episode here on Booked. That's right. So come back soon or just check for the next episode in the list. And um, until then, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading. <laughs>